Hi, I'm Keegan Matson from MLB.com, and you're listening to Red, White, and Blue Jays. Swing and a drive! Welcome to Red, White, and Blue Jays, the podcast home of Blue Jays Fans UK, a group connecting Blue Jays fans around the UK and beyond and telling their story. And now here's the host of Red, White, and Blue Jays, Steve Hunter. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of Red, White, and Blue Jays. Great to have you uh, with us. Very excited about today's guest because we have a Blue Jays reporter and insider from MLB.com, Keegan Matheson. Great to have you with us, sir. How are you? I'm doing very well. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate your time. I know you're a busy, busy guy. And I know we, we spoke, I think it was, I think it might have been just in spring training. I can't remember when I first contacted you. Yeah. And uh, I, I know you've been crazy busy schedule running around, but really appreciate that you've managed to carve out some time for us. So thank you so much for that. Um, just in terms of uh, your backdrop, ever done anything into the UK? Is this a first, first for you? This is this is it. Yeah, I like it. I, I, I normally get excited when I get to do uh, anything that's east of me because I'm an East Coaster stuck in Toronto. So this is uh, even further. So I, I love it. But this has got to be a first. Absolutely. Uh, excellent. H- have you been to the UK at all? Is, is it somewhere that you know? No. Okay. I have not been. I, I've wanted to make a trip. I, I, I have been under-traveled. You know, I have seen every downtown of every baseball city in North America and <laughs> Yeah. You know, eating at every local, uh, you know, dive bar and this and that. But I need to do some proper vacation. So yeah. that's something I'm trying to do a better job at in my off seasons. You know, it's uh, the sometimes I, I think, man, I should have covered. Well, I, I hate hockey. I'm a terrible Canadian. Number one, um, I should have covered basketball, maybe where the off season is in the summer. You know, okay. my season uh, ends in November and my off season is the winter. So I've got to do a better job of uh, getting out of here yeah. <laughs> in the winter, winter months. Yeah. So you're born and raised in Halifax, is that right? That's right. Born uh, near Halifax, a town called New Glasgow. Um, okay. You know, grew up in Nova Scotia, a very small town. Uh, my folks live in an even smaller town now, but uh, lived in Halifax in Nova Scotia, which for my dollar is the most incredible city in this country. Uh, I just love it. Uh, right along the ocean in Nova Scotia. Uh, went to university there, uh, Dalhousie University uh, for my undergrad. I bet I lived in Halifax, let's say six, seven years. Right. Miss it dearly. Love that city. Um, you know, Halifax has been, I feel like the rest of Canada has discovered Halifax now. I yeah. go and I look at all of the $400 apartments I used to rent back in the, the glory days yes. are now, you know, Toronto style. But uh, so everybody found out the secret that is Halifax, I guess, but that's good. It's a fantastic place. And moved here to Toronto 2016, uh, I guess it would have been. I was the. Uh, I was kind of the kiss of death for a while. Once I showed up, the playoff runs ended. But, uh, <laughs> thankfully, they're they're back to it now. I was worried that I was bad luck for a few years yeah. there. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, you moved to Toronto to take up the job that you're doing, or did you move for other reasons? That's right. It, it was um, along that line. Now, I did an undergraduate uh, at Dalhousie in English and creative writing. So, that's okay. kind of in the direction of journalism, but not fully journalism. Uh, I moved to Toronto to attend Centennial College. It's a one-year program specifically for sports journalism, Uh, not general journalism, but for sports. It's a graduate program. And that is what I did in 2016. And that's launched me into, you know, first with MLB.com, then a couple of detours, now back home to MLB.com. It's, uh, you know, I finally have a a ring on my finger with them, I think. But um, it's, uh, no, it's been interesting. I guess five, six years I've been here. And I hated it when I got here. I really? absolutely hated Toronto. It was too big for me. I was very stubborn about it. You know, in hindsight, if we want to unpack this, I was the problem. But uh, I, I was stubborn. I did not learn the city whatsoever. I knew where the ballpark was and where my apartment was. But everything else I looked at and I said, no, it's just a big city, overwhelming. I'll never learn it. So I've since come to absolutely love it. You know, yeah. part of that's time and patience. Another part of it is, you know, one of the the joys of this job is just travel, you know, getting to travel to other cities. And, you know, as I go to the other 29 MLB cities, 
most of the time I land and I think, ooh, okay, Toronto's not that bad. Sure. <laughs> it's, been, it's been a great lesson on perspective, I guess, a lot of these road cities. So, no, it's been a, a great experience here in Toronto. Um, it, it's uh, certainly uh, fun to do what I do. It's uh, something I love you know, very much. I, I grew up loving baseball uh, above all other sports and, and loving writing. You know, it, it's not something that I can say was always a dream job because I never thought of journalism when right. I was a kid. Um, you, know, you, you know what teachers do. You know what doctors do because you have teachers. You have a family doctor. You, you see how that works. Uh, I, I guess I had never seen what a journalist looks like. I, I saw the newspaper, but I, um, I didn't know how that job worked, how that process before a finished story worked or existed. But uh, as I got further into writing and more interested in this, uh, you know, kind of getting into journalism properly has been, I think, a very good experience. And, uh, you know, happy to be here. Very yeah. happy to be where I'm at now. Uh, it's a cool, cool story. So, yeah, you just touched on growing up in terms of you always loved baseball. Was, was it something you played yourself, or you, you know, when you're coming through high school it, or something? It was. It was. Now, in, in Nova Scotia, where I grew up, um, and I guess this goes for most of Canada now. Really, once you turn, gosh, it used to be, you know, I'm 31 now. So when I was 12 or 13, that was the age where your best athletes in your town or your city started playing hockey all year long or through the summer. Um, now that probably starts at age two. You know, hockey is just this mm. uh, this brain disorder that this country has that I did not get at birth. But uh, it's it's, not, it's just not something I had. I played it growing up. It's it's how I know most of my friends. But it's just it's it's not for me. And baseball was uh, you know around where I'm from there was some great baseball because there's a you know a lot of you know, good country boys who are great at baseball. And when you go up to Cape Breton Island, there's some great baseball that gets played up there. And Around where I'm from, there's lots of men's leagues that still play too. You know, competitive men's leagues, not just beer league slow pitch, which is really fun. I, that's one thing I, if I lived home, I, I wish I could be part of that. Okay. But definitely played a lot of baseball growing up. Will never claim to have been good. I was very good when I was very young because I was a big kid before other kids got big. <laughs> so right. it was when the field was still small, I was the first kid to get big. Uh, there were lots of home runs. But then the field got bigger, the bases got further apart. Other parts of my game were exposed, let's say. Okay. But, uh, I was a, a DH from a young age, but right. always loved baseball. It was always my first love in sport. Yeah. And I guess as you're growing up, uh, in terms of geography, uh, the Expos, straight Blue Jays, did you have any sort of leaning towards either of those teams at that age? Definitely grew up watching the Jays, but where I'm from, there was a lot of Red Sox. Uh, so in Nova okay. Scotia, you would get the, the regional TV feeds from the New England area up the coast. Sure. So lots of Red Sox fans uh, where I'm from, even to this day. Um, of course, tons of Blue Jays. People come out to those games constantly uh, from the East Coast. Um, I, I think even in Boston, there used to be a, a Maritimes night. My, my group of provinces in the East Coast is referred to as the Maritimes. Yeah. Even at Fenway Park, I think they used to have Maritimes night where a lot of people would come down and go to those games. So you see a lot of that, but a lot of it has to do with you know regional TV coverage. You, you like the teams you see on TV when you're a kid. You know, I was a Green Bay Packers football fan because I saw them when I was six on TV and I said, I like those colors. You yes. know, it's not always a big, big, beautiful reason passed down through generations. I, you know, my, my folks were not big baseball fans, but it was always on uh, every night, the beauty of it. And I remember growing up, my argument with my mother would always be, uh, you know, I would be told to go to bed and I would say, okay, let me watch the Blue Jays bat one more time. I had no interest in pitching. I did not understand the art of pitching yet. I just, I wanted to see them bat. So it would always be the argument, all right, let me see them hit one more time and I'd have to go to bed in the second or third inning. But uh, yeah, I definitely grew up in, in front of a ball game every night. Amazing. Earliest Blue Jays memory, what what, what stands out for you? I'm just, I just, well, I'm just trying to think it's a, in terms of your age. It's a, there's a few stories that my mother tells. Um, so I was born in 1990. So the 92 and 93 World yep. Series, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm told stories of how I was in front of the TVs. Uh, I, I remember my some of my mother's early stories of me going to Blue Jays games. We used to come up here a lot. Uh, there, there's one she likes to tell that I, Roger Clemens was pitching that year. So it must have been 97. And so I was six years old, just about. 
and we go to the game and I am decked out. I've got my, you know, Blue Jays jersey and hat and shoelaces and everything on. And you know, now as a journalist, that makes me sweat and cringe. <laughs> but, you know, at the time I was a kid, I was a fan. And the way she tells the story, uh, they went down one nothing. They were down one nothing in the first or second inning. And I was upset. I wanted to leave. I, I was throwing a tantrum. Eventually, they came back and won the game. But that's, uh, you know, thankfully, I've calmed down at ball games now. And then uh, I remember when I was really young. I mean, I, I don't have kids, so I'm trying to remember what age you lose teeth at. I'm, I'm kind of blurry on the age. But it was I, I lost my first tooth at Skydome eating an ice cream sundae or something like this. Then a few months later, we were back. And I lost my second tooth of my life eating a burger at the Sky Dome. So in my mind, when I was three or four, however old you are at that point, in my mind, there was something magical about this building where I thought, oh, my God, we're going to have to come here for me to lose all of my teeth. It was, uh, I, I thought uh, the next time we went back, I remember thinking I was a little nervous to eat something. But yeah, uh, yeah so those are, yeah, those are really stories that just end up with a, a young Keegan Matheson crying at a ballpark. Thankfully, yeah. I'm a... A little more stable now, but uh, yeah, we went to a ton of GA's games as a kid and a ton of Red Sox games down yeah. at Fenway Park too. Yeah, and in terms of uh, Roger Center, just as you talking about that, the renovations, uh, is suspecting there's going to be a couple of teeth sort of buried in the concrete somewhere as they uh, to carry out the <laughs> good renovation. Luck, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Fenway. Uh, what, what do you think of Fenway as a as a ballpark? I mean, obviously, very very different to to Skydome, Rod, straight Roger Center. It's, man, I, I view ballparks so differently now. And my friends, you know, will argue about it. You know, for, so the example I always use is Tropicana Field. Terrible ballpark. An abomination of a yep. sports stadium. Yep. But for my purposes now, media parking is easy. There's an elevator up in the press box. Incredible press box. Good press box snacks. So I'm, I'm, I'm there thinking, oh, my God, this is amazing. Plus, yeah. I'm in Tampa and it's air-conditioned. I think this is as good as it gets. Okay. Uh, Fenway Park, when I was a kid growing up, was, you know, the mystique and the history of it blew me away. I, I would get emotional going there when I was a, a kid as a baseball fan. And my dad and I would go on the tour every time. It was amazing. Now I go in there and I think, oh, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, you know, having history sometimes just means you're really, really old. And uh, I appreciate that history. I do. But that's the first two minutes of me arriving. Then the sure. next 10 hours of my day yep. are thinking, you know what? I could go for the odd modern amenity here at Fenway Park. Yeah. But it's uh, it, it's one of those places that you do have to go to once. You, you have to experience it. It's Thank an incredible you. place. And I do wish that more ballparks, I mean, good Lord, speaking of Rogerson, I wish more ballparks would do a better job of using the space around the stadium. You know, and it's it depends on what teams own around the stadium, the, the property that belongs to them. But statues, having some history outside that lets you know what's in that big concrete hunk. <laughs> so I think that the the area around uh, Fenway mm. Park is pretty cool. I, I like seeing that. And it's also given me an appreciation for any ballpark that is actually in the city. Yeah. You know, it's I, I think of going to Kansas City earlier this year. And I'm driving out to the middle of nowhere. Nobody's walking there. It's not accessible. It doesn't sure. feel like it's part of Kansas City. It's just on a highway. Who cares? Yep. But the fact that you can look out of Rogers Center here and see the CN Tower, or the fact that I can just walk from my hotel, you know, through these famous streets of Boston and arrive at Fenway Park, that's cool. I care about location a lot. But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, Fenway itself, it's, uh, you know, I... I the story I always tell, this was two or three years ago, of the moment that I got on the elevator alone and a rat the size of my foot got on with me. And I have big feet. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, one of those places. You, yeah. you have some unwelcome guests from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I enjoyed our time at Fenway. I, I think probably like you've mentioned in terms of, you know, the history and stuff. Uh, you know, it was an easy access for us when we, we did one of our trips out to, to Toronto. And it was interesting taking our kids both to to roger center and then on to fenway and there was a massive rain delay uh at boston okay. uh, and so they experienced all of that and but it just made me appreciate how important the roof is particularly oh in my the, goodness in the geography of that sort of northeast corner of the states and then in, obviously into Canada. i'm so spoiled by that and I, I you don't realize it now but when i 
started traveling again fully this year. We'll be in a road city and a rain delay will happen. And the local writers, of course, they're not cheering, but they'll say, well, this is how it goes. And I'm thinking, what the hell do you mean? <laughs> like, this is, yeah. this is unacceptable. Like, we, we have the technology to have a roof on this place. So I think every stadium ever built should have a retractable roof. It's, mm-hmm. It makes such a difference in my life. It probably shaves 50, 60, 70 hours off my season waiting for rain delays yeah, every year. Of course. So yeah. that is why, you know, Roger Center, I will never tell anybody it's beautiful ever. <laughs> But man, with that roof, it's it's immediately in my good books. Yeah, absolutely, and it hold and it does hold lots of good memories for lots of people. Yeah, and I think yeah, you know, thinking back obviously to the World Series, but uh, other stuff, it, you know, in terms of the twenty fifteen sixteen seasons, I think I first started watching the Jays in ninety four. So my first visit was just after the World Series, so I missed missed those. Um, but the sort of fifteen sixteen seasons yeah. for me as a fan watching in. Um, the place was pumping, wasn't it? I mean, it's just, you know, great, great place to watch baseball. Yeah, that's what Toronto does well. And part of that's the geography. Because if this stadium is out in the middle of nowhere, you're not getting the walk-up crowd. You're not getting a lot of the downtown crowd, which at least for Toronto's demographic is a lot of the younger people in the city. Kind of the age 25 to 40 demographic who have not yet gone to the suburbs, you know, who are... yeah going to make it a destination. We saw that with the Toronto Raptors too. Um, and with the Blue Jays in 15 and 16, it becomes a the cool spot to be. And that sounds silly and flimsy, but there's a lot of money to be made off being the cool thing in town. Sure. And the Raptors absolutely blew up in 2019 because of that. The Blue Jays in 15 and 16, it's all anybody talked about. Anywhere you went, people were wearing Blue Jays gear on the streets to work through that playoff run. The entire city quite literally revolves around that downtown. It's right where Union Station is, which was the main trans- transportation hub of the city. Yep, It's right there. So when the Blue Jays are good, this city completely falls for the team. You know, when they're bad, you can forget about it. But it's, uh, it's a good city for that. And, man, it really becomes a, a social destination just yeah. as much as a ball game. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, as we're sort of, leaning into the jays let's have a little chat in terms of where we are just as a sort of opening question what would your summary be of you know today in terms of the season as it's gone thus far how would you summarize yeah the jays performance it makes me realize that i shouldn't waste time writing previews every year (laughs) in in february and march We spend so much time previewing everything because, yeah, people need something to read. We need something to do. It's usually a waste of time. It's usually way off. And most things you would have predicted about this Blue Jays team have not happened. Um, the lineup at times has been pretty inconsistent. There was that stretch early in the season where they had no idea how to hit with runners in scoring position. It was a frustrating team for a while because even though their numbers were good, even though they were a top five offense for that whole stretch, they still annoyed the hell out of you because they would leave 10 men on base every game. The numbers were good because they were getting on base, but nothing else was happening. And then in terms of the rotation, I I mean, you could have bet me any number that Jose Barrios would have done this this season. I never would have taken it. I would have bet my house that he would be a 3.6 ERA like he always is. He's the most consistent pitcher in Major League Baseball for five years. And all of a sudden, he's the least consistent in the Blue Jays' rotation. How does that happen? You know, when where does that come from? Mm. Especially in year one of a big, expensive deal. You don't expect that. But at the same time, there have been good stories on the other side. You know, uh, Alejandro Kirk playing like he has. Santiago Espinal early in the season. Alec Noah continues to exceed expectations. Has been just brilliant, you know, for this team. And Kevin Gossman has been even better than I thought. He has been almost underrated up to this point. He has had zero batted ball luck. And I don't get into batted ball luck because it balances out eventually. His has, like he has gotten screwed by batted ball luck and he's still been an elite pitcher. So I don't think we even appreciate how good he has been. It's been this weird balance this season. You know, they they get out to whatever their record is now. It's, it's rarely looked like that. They've either looked like the best team in baseball or like a team that's going to stumble over the playoff race at yeah. this point. So we'll see where it goes from here, but nothing has been consistent. No. Nothing at all. 
and, and do you think part of that was the decision in terms of Charlie going um, that sort of inconsistency to the performances? Yeah. Yeah, inconsistency will get somebody fired, you know, and because that's always going to lead to a stretch like they had that one and six West Coast road trip, uh, one and nine stretch around that point. So they have been playing better baseball uh, since John Schneider took over, more aggressive baseball too. And I like that. That fits this team because the Blue Jays, you know, like for example, right now playing the Baltimore Orioles, they are a better team, period, easily. But Unless you bring the game to the other team's doorstep, you're leaving the door open. And too often the Blue Jays were just involved or participating in games against lesser teams. Instead of just saying, hey, we're better. We're going to play this game our way and see if you can keep up. And I think it's a more natural fit for them, being the aggressor. And it's a more natural fit for their energy. And that's part of a manager's job. You know, If he looked around and saw a locker room full of surly age 37 Jose Bautista types uh, okay you know you, you read the energy a bit different sure but when you look around that clubhouse and this isn't just in the dugouts I mean when I'm in there at four o'clock in the afternoon pregame they are dancing and partying and yelling at each other and it, this is <laughs> a, the most energetic team you could be part of so might as well do something with that yeah. and I think John Schneider has captured that well uh, yeah. captured that that youthful vibe that this team has and we'll see where it goes you know an aggressive brand of baseball makes it even more sorry um, even less consistent because you're introducing more variables more chaos but of course that's uh that's why you tune in every night you don't know if they're going to look like a world series winner or absolutely stink the place up it's yeah. uh it's must see tv for one reason or the other <laughs> absolutely and i think that's what people were excited about at the beginning of the season in terms of you know so much uh, power across the batting lineup yeah. and and i think we got a flavor certainly as the as the season ran out last year uh going through particularly into september august i think from memory was not great last year but september we you know the jays picked up massively obviously a, a very um competitive end to the season the home run jacket and all the partying that goes on with that so there was this sort of momentum i think coming into 2022 of this very aggressive team and and it as you said, it didn't quite happen um, under Charlie's reign. And I think, you know, with John Schneider now seeing seeing that come through, I, th I think it's exciting again to to believe that things are happening. I, I think the base running might be a bit questionable just after the last few games. Uh, what are you making of those sort of decisions? And I guess that's really a lot down to the player at that moment, deciding whether he's going to go or not, despite what, you know, base coaches are saying. Yeah, that needs to be ironed out. It, it's in a, you know, even at this point of the year, it, it's high stakes. Now, if it's early July or late June and somebody screws up on the bases, it's easy for a manager or even for me covering to say, you know what, an aggressive play, maybe it works out next time, sure. Yeah. If we are watching a game on October 5th and like we see so many times, a ball is thrown to a base and Lord Escariel Jr. is still seven steps away from that base, you're thinking, whew, that's the ball game. That might be the series. So they've got to figure that out along the way. And they will. It's um, it's a lot depending on the runner. Now, if you are Whit Merrifield or someone like George Springer, uh, Santiago Espinal makes good decisions in the bases. You trust them. You normally feel good with it. There have been times where guys like Vladdy or Nordez will start to run. And even before there's a play, I'm in the press box thinking, oh, man, that's not going to work. Hmm. And you see where the energy is coming from. And, you know, I think John Schneider is the right guy to manage that, you know, especially going back to his minor league days. You, you learn how to manage players and their aggression, number one. But you've got to make it work. If aggression works, you look like a genius. If it does not, you look like you're trying too hard, which does not work in baseball ever. Mm. So I think that's going to be a major factor for the Blue Jays. Leave it up to the guys who can do it. You know, we mm. saw that with, with Merrifield in – Minneapolis, uh, when he pretty much won that game all by himself, tagging yeah. up to go to third, tagging up to go home. But uh, it's got to be the right guy. You know, as, mm. as fun as it is to watch Vladdy run the bases, uh, <laughs> it's a lot more fun when it works. Yeah, no, absolutely. A couple of nights ago, fairly controversial call uh, running into home plate. W where did you land in terms of right call, wrong call? I mean, obviously, it was great from the Jays' perspective, but I think if it had been flipped around the other way, we would have been as upset. 
you know, so where where did you feel the umps got it right or it, not? I think it all happened correctly as it played out. Now, when he was called out live on the play, I thought, sure. And that is a rule that, you know, the, the blocking the plate rule is one that I still struggle to understand sure. at all at this point. So when the play was made, I'm watching the replay and thinking, you know what? He's blocking a little bit, but it's still a very nice tag. If he's allowed to block, it's a nice block. What the hell does block mean anymore? But when it was reviewed and when you read the rule, uh, overturning, it also made sense. So I'm glad that's in place. And then after the game, I also see where Rocco Baldelli is coming from because there's so many times where that's not overturned. My stance was that regardless of how it was called on the field, I kind of thought it would stay that way because it was close. Yeah. But, um, you know, overturning it does fit the letter of the rule. It's just not a rule that we see called mm. all the time. It's like if you saw an umpire award an automatic strike because a hitter was stepping out of the box for too long. That's yeah. a rule, but you're thinking, well, what the hell? I haven't seen that in months. Yeah. So uh, you're exactly right. I, I think that if this was called against the Blue Jays, Nobody would be tweeting me saying, well, that's the rule. That's yeah. that's how it's written. I wouldn't be getting 10,000 screenshots of the overhead view of home plate with lines drawn on Microsoft Paint. It's, uh, you know, fandom creates bias, but uh, and, and that's completely okay. But I don't think a lot of people realize that in the moment. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, for I, I think I tweeted out that the Blue Jays did get a bit of a break and people didn't like that. But, uh, you know, to that I said, if it happened to the Blue Jays, Yep. Yeah, you, you might agree. But yep. uh, so it all depends what side you're on. But and, and Blue Jays fans, if they love one thing, it is umpiring. But <laughs> oh, yes. my God. <laughs> but um, yeah, that, it, it ended up correct. Uh, I think a few people learned a rule. And yeah, I, I actually woke up this morning and I, I still saw people arguing about it in my mentions. And I said, <laughs> OK, I, I retire. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm done, done with home plate. <laughs> well, we come from a, a nation of football fans um, for the Premier yep. League and uh, if there's anything more controversial in Premier League football it's the VAR decisions in terms of offside, yeah. offside. and it's exactly the same thing is you know you, it's yeah. lines across the pitch and it's it's an elbow over the line and it's you know technically it's the right answer but it's one of those isn't it I think you know there, there's a, technology does help um, yeah. but I think if it gets to the point where it starts to take away the joy of the game in its yeah exactly original form i mean where, where would you be on robo umps do you think i mean they they seem like they are likely to be coming uh i'm for like... robot umpires i think the problem for most people is that they think an actual robot will be behind home plate. <laughs> it's not how it's going to work I, I think people are visually having a problem with it all it's going to be is an umpire with an earpiece yeah and i think that makes a ton of sense as long as this strike zone is not, you know, drastically varying from what pitchers have been used to. I hope it's a gentle progression. But when a lot of people hear robot umpires, I think they're picturing no umpire at all. Just a voice of God up from the booth saying ball one. And that, that's not going to be it. There's still going to be an umpire. Your visual will remain the same. It'll just be more accurate. Um, in other areas of the game, I don't want to get too nitpicky with, video review because a time of play my goodness but also you know, baseball has been a sport that hasn't really changed much over the years this is not like the nfl where you have to learn what the rules are every season mm. baseball you can go to a game in 1907 and you'll know what's happening so i don't want to bog it down too much with replay and technology but i think a an umpire wearing an earpiece to get an accurate ball or strike ball which will happen just as quickly I think that makes a lot of sense and it will save me from getting screenshots of the game day strike zone, most importantly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, let's just uh, rewind to last week in terms of trade deadline. How did you feel that went? Did the Jays, I think most people would say they did perhaps what they needed to do, but it wasn't spectacular. Uh, yeah, it, it was okay. It was fine. You know, it, it, and it's in a middle ground type of thing. Yeah. In the bullpen, adding Zach Pop and Anthony Bass, that's good. Sure. You're upgrading from a 
Trevor Richards or a Trent Thornton or whoever that last guy in the bullpen is, but are you changing your playoff odds or are you changing your World Series odds? Are those players going to be the guys who make a difference in the eighth inning of game three of the ALCS? No. That's okay. You're a better team, but I think the Blue Jays needed that big, high strikeout reliever because having Jordan Romano, that's great, but postseason winning teams, World Series teams, have multiple closers, have a Super bullpen on the back, and the Blue Jays are more of a depth bullpen right now. There was also room to upgrade that rotation. Mitch White fits what they do as a kind of Ross Stripling 2.0 with team control. Mm. It fits the Blue Jays' identity. Um, but that's more of a broader baseball move. You, you, you like to have that piece on your team, but again, not really increasing the World Series odds. Uh, Whit Merrifield, what we've seen from him so far, he does change this lineup. Uh, you can picture him in a big spot, maybe coming off of the bench or, or having a big moment in the bases in the eighth or ninth inning, uh, running in a big game. You can see that. You can see him tipping a game potentially. Mm. But when you look around the league at what the Yankees did, at how good the Dodgers are, what the Astros did, look at yeah. the Padres adding Soto. You know, there's a lot of things. If you're going to talk about the trade deadline, yeah. you're going to be 10 storylines down before you mention the Blue Jays, which yeah. is probably not the most encouraging thing. No, I would have thought in terms of the other teams, they wouldn't have looked at the Jays in terms of, well, they've done some good business there. I think yeah. you know, everybody else is looking around and, and seeing what, as the teams that you've mentioned in terms of their their trade. So what, what does that say say to you about... I, I think we're all taking it as read that they will make the postseason. I mean, I think, that, I think just because of expansion and so on. But what does that say in terms of once we get there? I mean, do you feel there's an appetite to actually really push through? You know, it's for the Blue Jays in their window now. You know, for example, if they had have had this deadline in 2016, massive failure, complete miss, because that was an old team that everybody knew, even though we didn't want to admit it at the time, everyone knew it was about to fall apart because of payroll, because of age. It just wasn't going to last. And that's okay. I love teams that go for it. But now you're looking at a team with a window probably of the next four or five years. There is something to be said about just getting in. You know, look at Atlanta last year. I think they had the worst record of any postseason team. They mm -hmm. win. So, there's something to be said about giving yourself four or five chances instead of just one big one, because we see how often the best team does not win. It's not the most exciting uh, strategy to tell fans. Um, but at this point, I think you're seeing that's what the Blue Jays are doing. They are a postseason team. A lot of their improvements will still come from within, whether that's Bo Bichette, who's looked good recently, Vladdy, Jose Barrios improving. There's, there's room for major improvements internally. But I think right now, they're looking like a team that will go to the playoffs every year, definitely. But it's more about getting hot at the right time. And I think a lot of teams will point to that Atlanta run uh, as that. You know, just get in and see what happens. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly it, isn't it? You, know, you want to see, you just want to get across the line. And I think mm -hmm. if the Jays had got in last year, I think they would have had a very good chance of yeah. progressing through. I think everybody felt that. And that was, I think, the, the enormity, the disappointment of what happened last season. Yeah. Whereas I think at the moment, as things stand, I think they'll get th across the line, but I'm not massively excited about the chances. I mean, I think, if you, well, the Yankees, I mean, even the Yankees are, are, are faltering a little bit at the moment. Uh, so, you know, four-game series against the, you know, the Yankees, five-game series, seven-game series, could could they do that? Are they strong enough to to push through I, th I think as you say it's all about getting hot at the right point of the season does it does that does that change how baseball's you know the mindset of baseball is it now all about just getting across the line doesn't matter really how you perform through the the regular season is it just we just need to be in the postseason and then we change tack yeah you'll see that more with how teams manage players and especially pitchers you know making sure they are ready to ramp up um, you, you'll probably see that with Alec Manoa. He's going to throw maybe over 200 innings, but do you want him to have a day off or a, a, you know, a trip through the rotation off maybe at one point to keep him fresh? Because as long as you know you're going to get in, yep. get in. You know, if it's, <clears throat> if it's looking close, of course, go all out, make it happen. But 
a team down the stretch, especially with those three wild card spots, mm. it's likely that in the last weeks of September, you're going to know who is falling where. Maybe that third spot is a little more up for contention, but it's it's about peaking them. And especially if you are a team that might be an underdog in a series, if you are playing the Yankees or somebody like that, you need to steal a game. Normally that is just one player having one big performance. And normally that means a starting pitcher. So yeah. If you can rest your ace, line up your guy, if that's Kevin Gossman for the Blue Jays, line him up for a game one. I don't care if you're playing the Dodgers. If you steal a game, all of a sudden you're the favorite. One mm-hmm. nothing. So I think a lot of it will be about lining up you know, these next few weeks. Yeah. In terms of uh, injuries, uh, obviously some key guys just gone onto the IL. Uh, so George Springer, Stripling, and Tim Mazer with his dislocation the other day yeah uh, I mean, that was terrible i dislocated my shoulder when i was 19 so i totally felt for him it's a it's a horrible horrible thing um how key is it to get those guys back up and healthy running towards october yeah springer especially they don't think he'll need more than the 10 days but at the same time i've heard that 100 times before and the guy has needed more so we'll yeah. see uh, having springer in there healthy and not grimacing on the camera every inning is important because <laughs> yeah. he did not look right. It no. was uncomfortable to watch him, and we've seen that a few times. So having him at the top of the lineup, he is a rare player. He is a an incredible baseball player. To have in the leadoff spot is unique for this team, so they need that. Having Stripling, uh, his talent is also just as important as the option to get Yusei Kikuchi out of that rotation. I mean, you need a healthy starter, and at this point, Kikuchi, I don't know how patient you can be, really. Now that you have Mitch White as another option there, um, having one of them in the bullpen would be nice to have some length. But Kikuchi pitching every fifth day for a team that's very much in a race. You know, they're not running away with this spot. They're in a race. I don't know how that works. I know he has the odd start where he looks good, but then the opposing team watches that start, adjusts immediately, and rocks him the next start out. Mm-hmm. So that's why whenever he comes back from the IL or from a big adjustment and looks good once, it's not that I don't care, but show me three or four times because mm-hmm. it's happening over and over again where he'll get hit again immediately and he's on to the next adjustment, the next adjustment. Yeah. That's hard to do when you are facing Aaron Judge. You know, good luck. So stripling being back is very important. And then Mesa, God, you need a lefty. At some point, and yeah. I know that Major League Baseball is not as traditional righty-lefty matchups as it used to be, but Mesa's is just playing good. You know, mm-hmm. he, he has been a rock for this bullpen. Uh, he's very well liked in the clubhouse. He, he's kind of like the the dad of the of the group. <laughs> but uh, you know, Mesa's is a, a fantastic individual, a really good pitcher, and a great story coming back from that Tommy John. So I, I'm glad that it was. You know, when I say just a dislocation, I, I mean nothing broken or or torn because you're worried about rotator cuffs and stuff like yep. that. Um, he can come back and pitch this year, which is good news. But uh, when he was laying on the ground there for a minute, that was uh, as scary as the season has looked because he's a guy who's been through a big one before. Yeah. And would you want your pitcher doing what he did? I mean, he clearly was trying to obviously get the, the, the tag out running into to home plate. Is that where you want to see one of your key players? You know, in, in Yeah, the, in I that- still think you, you do. I think it's it's hard to tell these guys not to because instinct takes over. It's a big game at the plate. And if he pulls up there or tries to scoop in a situation where he could have tagged, I think fans and you know, even teammates would look at that and think, ah, come on, you know. Okay. It's um it's it's so often this is when injuries come up. Um, is when a player is doing something they're not used to, uh, a motion that their muscle memory and their body is not used to. That's why you see pitchers injured so much when there's a play at the base or the play at home play like this. Just not something they're used to doing. So they're stepping awkwardly, they're angling their bodies awkwardly. And um, it's, man, it's unfortunate it happened, but I, I still think you you want to see a pitcher go for it. I, I guess this is a lesson on how it can go wrong, of course, but I'm guessing if Mesa gets a dribbler back, he'll be diving at that guy again. Yeah. As you say, it's it's inbuilt into them, isn't it? It's just natural, natural yeah. reaction to what's happening around them. Um, Jackie Bradley Jr., what's he going to bring to the Jays? He'll be Bradley Zimmer with maybe a few more balls put in play at this yeah. point. You no, know, you can. 
Um, That's not a high bar. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a low bar, but I think at this point you can compare their defensive numbers this year and their sprint numbers this year, yada, yada, yada. But over a career, I think I trust Jackie Bradley Jr. more in that outfield. Um, sure. Based off his experience, the moments he's had in big games, his arm, um, if anything, defensively, it's a tie. It's close enough. Yeah, yeah. But we I- have seen Bradley Zimmer on this roster for a long time hitting nothing, hitting 100 essentially and for a team like this that needs to utilize their bench well that just doesn't work that's not going to last uh, on this roster so even if Jackie Bradley Jr. can have the odd at bat where he's I mean genuinely just putting a ball in play giving himself a chance that's enough of an upgrade and and having some experience as well helps by all accounts a, a great guy to have in the clubhouse so is also another one the Blue Jays have liked for a long time. You know, they, they tend to not give up on these uh, guys yep. that they've liked. Gosman's another example of that. And yep. Finally get him, you know, not at his peak value by any means, but uh, I think he's a minor upgrade. Mm, very good. Uh, Keegan, I'm conscious of time, so I, d- I want to make sure that I just get a couple of questions that the guys yes. have sent in uh, before we let you go. Um, right. Probably the, the biggest one that, I guess still is being banded around a lot is in terms of Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins performance uh, and, and obviously coming out of the trade deadline, I guess is connected to that. Uh, how do you feel that they are being received amongst the Toronto faithful? Much better than it used to be. That's for sure. The, the trade deadline soured some people, of course, briefly, but I, I think leading into that and some of the moves that have been made, um, I, I think Blue Jays fans have finally gotten away from being upset that, you know, two Americans from Cleveland came in to run the organ. <laughs> that was always stupid, but it takes people a while to get over it. I, I get that. But I, I think the reception has been better. This trade deadline uh, was not people's favorite thing, of course, by any means. But right now, I think you see a team that's in a place most other teams dream of being in. And I say that carefully, but from a, a big picture you have your young core, you have rebuilt slowly, you have money to spend, you have some top prospects still to trade if you need to, and you have supplemented that young core with big money free agents or signings, uh, trades, you know, Rios, Gossman, Ryu was an early one, uh, George Springer. So we've seen teams try to rebuild and not get here. We say rebuild like it's easy, like you just suck it up for three or four years. Most teams do not get to this point. So the Blue Jays are where they've told us they were going for a while. And I think that's a legitimate accomplishment. But going from here to being great is the hard part. Finding a way to go from 91 wins to 95, that's the hard part. Uh, Finding a way to, to be a team that's not just good in the regular season, but can really tighten up and win close, mistake free games when all of the pressure in the world is on them in October. That's different. That's much different. So we're going to see that line now. And frankly, I don't know. know, We'll see. You don't know until every single out is the biggest out of the season, how a team or how a person, an individual, will hold up to that. But I think in terms of big picture, this is where they said they wanted to get. It's it's an accomplishment to get here, but I think the, the hard part comes now because... You don't have the benefit of patience anymore. And it's all about winning. Not just winning, but World Series winning. You know, I I think in Toronto, and this is another thing I want to say carefully, but it's uh, other sports markets are a little harsher when it comes to demanding championships and excellence. Um, You'll get the polite booze in Toronto, Mm. but you won't get the Boston booze or the New York-style booze. So I, I think... This is a team that needs to be World Series or bust. They're good enough. Yeah. They are good enough to have that expectation every year. It's no longer about making the playoffs and having fun and seeing what happens. It's it's about having fun, of course. It's a silly sport, but uh, it's World <laughs> Series expectations. It yeah, yeah. has to be. Very good. Uh, question from Mark, uh, just about the catching position in terms of trades. So three good catches in the in the team. Danny Jansen, Alejandro Kirk, and Gabriel Moreno, of course, back down in AA, uh, AAA at the moment. How do you see that position playing out? 
That's going to be an interesting one this offseason because going into next year, Gabby Moreno can just be considered a big leaguer. You know, you're not talking about his arrival or anything like that. Jansen, since his hot start, has not been good at the plate. The, the power numbers have not been there. Um, but at the same time, Jansen is a player and a person that this organization loves. You know, he, he has come up in this organization. He is so good working with the pitchers and managing a pitching staff. He's such a talent of his. I think he makes a lot of sense as a 1B, like a power hitting 1B in a 1A, 1B situation. Right now, that makes a lot of sense with Alejandro Kirk, but Gabriel Moreno is an incredible talent, an incredible young player, and one that you don't see come around at catcher very often. So I think this offseason is when you see the Blue Jays open to dealing one of those. Obviously, there's going to be far more interest in either young guy, but Really, if you had a, a duo of Moreno and Kirk, that's pretty attractive. You know, mm. you, you have uh, Kirk able to DH if there's a partner you can find for Jansen and upgrade elsewhere. But at the same time, and, and I'm guilty of this, certainly, uh, we definitely play video game GM a lot of the time. Sure. It's, uh, you know, it's going to happen like it did this year where somebody will get hurt. They will hit a cold stretch. Yeah. And it's it's easy to look at this and say, okay, the Blue Jays need a starter. Let's turn Moreno into an ace starter. Now you have a perfect team. Well, the next week, Alejandro Kirk strains his hamstring and you don't have any catchers. So it's yeah. uh, it, it's tough. And I think the Blue Jays are in a position of power because teams do not have catching. Nobody sure. has catching right now in Major League Baseball. So they are holding not just talented players, but talented players at the rarest position to have talent. So they are in full control they can do whatever they want with mm. this but they've got to be careful because if you deal the wrong one you know if, if you deal james shields for uh fernando tatis jr and you have to wake up every year hating yourself for a decade totally. you got to be sure you do the right one absolutely yeah and, and it was you know at the beginning of the season when jensen went out and suddenly kirk is having to do a lot of yeah. game coverage and you can suddenly see how what seems to be a very um, luxurious position suddenly overnight yeah. turned to you know famine which is uh, something i guess the guys having to think about okay cu- a couple of fun questions from elizabeth for you um here All we right. go so between you and alejandro kirk which uh, uh who would get to first base the quickest <laughs> i am going to take myself not because i'm athletic <laughs> but because what am i six two or three I, I think i have a bit of a stride advantage on alejandro oh. kirk yeah um, he is more of the, the the quick steps. I know I'm putting myself at risk here, saying I would beat a pro athlete to first base, but uh, maybe we can arrange for a, a race next spring training in Dunedin. I'll train this offseason. Totally. Absolutely. I think we should line that one up. Um, okay, so Looney Hot Dog Night at Rogers Centre. Who's going to eat more, you or Alec Manoa? <laughs> Manoa. I can't even lie about this. I, I, I am I'm, I'm tall. I'm broadly built and Alec Manoa is one of the few baseball players I've ever met who is both taller and wider than me it is um it's unbelievable whatever he's listed at is wrong increase what he is listed at he is a massive human being so it's extremely rare that I feel small in a major league clubhouse but uh Manoa when he walked up we were in Minneapolis or wherever it was he was walking by and he just clamped his hand on my back and I felt like the wind had been knocked out of me. He is—he uh, <laughs> would put me down. I think he would be able to put down a, a terrifying number yeah. of loony dogs in a game. Yeah. And what I, what I like about him, you know, he stands his ground, doesn't he? You know, he, he takes no oh, yeah. messing. Uh, he's quite happy to, you know, give as good as he gets, uh, which, he uh, you know, considering he's so relatively new into Major League, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's happy to, to do that. Um, okay, what about this one? Who could strike out more batters in four innings, uh, yourself or Kikichi? <laughs> I might hit the strike zone more. Uh, uh, I, I think that he would have the velocity upside on me, so I think he gets a few more Ks. Yeah. But you know what? Given how hittable I would be, I think I give up fewer walks. Okay. Yes, that's an interesting one. <laughs> I'd give uh, up 20 runs, but I, yeah. none of it would be self-inflicted. I would I would make them earn it. Yeah, very good. Uh, lo- this last one was from uh, Daniel. Uh, who would hit the ball further, you or Bradley Zimmer? <laughs> well, step one is hitting the ball. Yeah. Um, 
which might be, you know, which one of us is going to do that. When Zimmer gets a hold of it, I remember that one home run he hit at Rogers Center. Was that in the second deck to right field? When he gets a hold of it, man, it goes. Mm. The problem is the word when. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we find ourselves where we are. You see that talent in there, but uh, man, it's been uh, it's been difficult to watch. I think as a fan, you know, watching in and yeah, you can very, very easy an arm, armchair critic, can't you? And it just all looks so very yeah. straightforward. Uh, and then you see it actually up close and personal. And yeah, what do they say? Mm. It's baseball's hitting a baseball is one of the hardest things to do in sport. Uh, I think, you know, yeah. yeah, you have an appreciation of these guys who who do it day in, day yeah. out and, and, and perform at the highest level. Keegan, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate talking to you for all your insight and uh, uh, just taking, you know, these questions at the end as well. Really uh, grateful for that. Thank you so much. Uh, what does the rest of your season look like for you? Uh, many, many travels around. Are you, are you literally traveling on? Well, obviously you're not in Baltimore at the moment, but uh, do you travel to most away? Yeah, from here on out, it'll be most of the road games. I think uh, the Blue Jays are back here in Toronto Friday, two days from now. So I'll be at the stadium with them. Then the next road trip uh, I'm looking forward to because it is New York and then Boston, which okay. means that I can take the train in between those two cities. A, I hate airlines and I hate airports. B, I'm a huge nerd for the train. So any any, any road series where I can do that, yeah. I'm excited. I've so done that. I've done that train up. journey. Yeah, I've done that oh, train journey perfect. between the so, two. Yeah, I'll so. be in uh, Pittsburgh early September. I think Texas coming up soon after that. There will be lots of exciting new places for me to complain about being too hot. But it's uh, anywhere the Blue Jays <laughs> are. I think the rest of the season, I'll uh, I'll be along for the ride. It should be a good one. Yeah, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll look forward to chatting to you perhaps at some point in the future. Definitely. Thank you. Enjoyed it. The Red, White and Blue Jays podcast is a production of Blue Jays Fans UK. If you've got a Blue Jays story to share, let us know. Email us at bluejaysfansuk at gmail.com. And follow along on Twitter and Instagram at bluejaysfansuk. I'm your announcer, Jim Langton. Thanks for listening.